Welcome to the Sam Dean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. Our podcast is sponsored by Dash Health and Wellness. This is Alicia Munden and Justin Munden's online weight loss company. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook. That's Alicia Munden and Justin Munden. We're also sponsored by Van Zant Coffee. The best tasting, freshly roasted coffee you can drink. Drink it black. Drink it however you want to drink it. It's just good coffee. Uh, We roast it, and uh, we sell it online, vanzantcoffee.com. Today on the show is Mr. Bill Brooks, CrossFitter, 68 years old, rancher, all-around good dude. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. All right, Mr. Bill Brooks, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for asking me. All right. So we just finished... The workout, I worked out with you in the 9 o'clock class. Adrian Bacon was our coach. We did 10 rounds of 10 pull-ups and 10 dips. And did you finish your mile walk afterwards? Yes, yes, got that done. So you're 68 years old. Yes. And you do cro- How many times a week do you do CrossFit? Right now I'm going five days a week and then try to do something at home on Saturdays. Five days a week. So this this so this morning you did ten ring rows and ten dips on the do you use the box? Use the box on your dips like getting out of a bathtub. And you did it for ten rounds and then you walked a mile. And you do that essentially you do the CrossFit workout and you walk a mile five at least five times a week. Yes. And you try to eat healthier. Yes. What how much has this has CrossFit helped you? Oh, when I got here, uh, when I, uh, what's it been, two years ago, it was hard to get in and out of a chair, hard to get out. You know, I had to kind of struggle to get out, and I was way overweight. Uh, my daughter taught me into, Georgie taught me into trying this, gave me a free deal for two weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started, I kind of felt out of place because I was so out of shape. And then you go home hurting pretty bad, so. Yeah. But it wasn't long that I, I noticed the difference and how I could get out of the chair and how I could do things. And most Bill, most people quit when they get that soreness, you know. They, they don't want it that bad. <laughs> They'd rather just stay comfortable. I, I wanted to, but I, I, I knew I couldn't. And, yeah. Uh, well, you I, had Torgy, the – you know, she's <laughs> you couldn't let her down. She was no. on, on you pretty hard, I'm sure. It's hard to tell her no, and and so I stayed with it. And then it wasn't long that you know I look forward to going all the time. Yeah, and, and enjoy the people here. You learn to you kind of have a family here that comes at that certain time. You every usually day, so. you usually come at 9 a.m. Yes, that's the some people call it the silver class. Yes. <laughs> you're 68 you're one of the younger ones in the class there's some older than me that's very true but the workouts are there's never anything you can't do i mean we're we the the coach makes it to where you can do it they scale it down to your level yes uh, that's they've, everybody's been good about that and uh since i've had these eye troubles well for certain weights i can't do or certain yeah Things like that, but everybody always finds something else that'll work just as good. So, so let's talk about your eyes for a minute. You're, what's wrong with your eyeball, your eyesight? Well, I have a macular degeneration, and uh, oh, it just uh, there's no cure for it, or there's some things that might slow it down a little bit. Um, I knew that's. It was getting hard to drive safely mm-hmm. when I moved. That's one reason I moved here, and uh, to be here with uh, with Tarji, my daughter, in case I needed any, any help. And then two days after I moved here, I had a retina tear in my right eye. They got it patched, but uh, uh, 
that really it was my only at the time good eye. Mm-hmm. And so then it, since that time, it's I haven't I haven't driven. It's been two and a half years. Uh, other than drive around the pastures or something, right. but but just not on the highway. And I've had a retina tear on my left eye now, so it's just getting uh, uh, weaker and weaker. And even people two foot away, I can't really see any facial. Mm-hmm. I know you're there, but I can't see any facial details. So that's a good thing with me, though. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been an adjustment, but yeah, but I'm still get, getting by and all that. So. Are you still able to use your sight that you have the special glasses for on your rifle? Uh, yes, I'm going to have to have some adjustments to that. You know, it, it's uh, since it's, I had retina tear on my left eye, but it's uh, the scope uh, Wi-Fi to my phone, mm-hmm. and then I plug the glasses into the phone, and. Uh, Looks like a like Star Wars glass, you know what yeah. they wear there, <laughs> and uh, and I can just move the I don't move the gun around and look through those glasses and uh, oh, the last time I shot is when the connect Roger and they were here. He's the one set that up, and I was shooting uh, targets at 500 yards that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, but they basically do a video game through mm-hmm. your glasses. Um, that's a cool that's a cool deal. Uh, so Torgy is Wyckoff is a she's been at our gym for a long time she's an ins- amazing athlete she's in top shape she wanted her dad to come in here and I've personally noticed a lot of movement in you uh, improve your ability to get up off the ground and stuff now we're, the eyesight thing's working against us a little bit it's not you're not comfortable reaching down and picking something up because of the balance and not being able to see, but, but, um, we can, we can move work around that. Um, but I'm proud of you. Thank you for sticking with it so long. Uh, I wish my mom and dad would, would do it. Um, so I'm just, I'm proud of you for sticking through it and, you know, just, I know you're 68, but just a normal 20 year old is not really willing (laughs) <laughs> to go through that soreness you know for their health and uh but once you get through that it becomes a lifestyle it becomes a working out every day becomes your personal hygiene just like putting your deodorant on or I, brushing I, your I teeth. agree with that and and i guess if you're not getting a little sore you're not working hard enough yeah you, even when you've been doing it a long time but it's not Used to I just go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday because it take me a day to recuperate from the yeah. <laughs> deal before. But now you know I've been able to go five days a week, and I'm gonna be you know I might be sore the next day a little bit, but it's not just yeah. terribly hurt sore. So yeah, I, I wish soreness wasn't a factor, but it, it's a necessary evil for mm-hmm. your muscles to get stronger, and um, yeah, it just means you did something and. You know, you get sore in one muscle, and then the next day you come in, you get sore somewhere else, mm-hmm. and then the the first one goes away, and then it's just it's kind of a, a cycle. But we're we make you do things that you wouldn't do on your own. That oh, you push it, then that's good because if you're at home doing it, you're probably gonna quit before you got to that tenth round. Or everybody, or, yeah, I would too. Everybody would. <laughs> yeah, I used to say this. I say when you work out by yourself at home, you're gonna do about half of what you're potential is or what you're capable of if you have a trainer you're going to do about 75 percent because you don't want to let that trainer down and you're going to kind of go but no one's there doing it with you but in the crossfit class at crossfit van zandt you have your peers in there and you have a trainer so you're going to go at your potential because you don't want to let yourself down but you don't want to let the people in the class down it's a it's a very social phenomenon on the exercise game, it's a it's a the perfect atmosphere for a um, a workout. Oh, it is, and it's uh, and you see how hard some of the other people are working too, and yeah. So you want to try to stay up with them, or right? It's, it's the team compete with them, in sometimes it's the team. It's just like a basketball team. You see somebody working hard, going the extra mile, like you want to pick up your end, you know. But 
um, even though you're not scoring together. But all right, enough about CrossFit, Van Zant. I love it. I can't help it. Talk about it. But okay. So I know you from Torgy, obviously coming in here. I also know you. You've been out to my ranch and given me pointers on my on my pastures and my cows and stuff. So we want to talk about that. We also want to talk about your story uh, growing up and how you how you got here today. Um, and also, um, you you're the one that introduced the hunting stuff to me, like me having hunters come to my ranch, which has helped me out this year oh, good. in the year of coronavirus <laughs> pretty <laughs> substantially. So we'll talk about that a little bit. So, uh, all right. So you were, where were you born? In uh, Gatesville, Texas. That's north of Fort Hood. Yes. Uh, between uh, Fort Hood and Lampasas. What year was that? Oh, uh, uh, 1953. All right. Tell me about growing up in Gatesville. Well, I was born there. We, we actually lived uh, in a little town called Rumley on the Lampasas River toward Lampasas. And uh, we had oh, a couple hundred acres there and then uh, right off the river. So I uh, was old enough we'd go fishing all summer and hunting all winter. <laughs> So it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty nice being there. What I would, you, went to school in Lampasas. What would you catch out of the Lampasas River? Oh, mainly the catfish. We uh, we set trout lines and and uh, we've caught up to fifty pound catfish there. So how would you prepare the? You caught a fifty pound catfish. What would you do with it? Oh, we we just uh, fillet them all, and uh, on the bank. Right no, there. we we bring them to the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daddy would have a fish fry every year, so we we spent quite a bit of time get a get a quite a. You know, we had blue cat, and channel cat, and there's there's bass and stuff in the river, but we didn't really. That was just kind of fun to catch. Mainly just ate catfish. What's a mud cat? Well, a mud cat is uh, it's a kind of catfish. Uh, they don't get very big. So I used to catch mud cat out of this creek right here, the dry creek, the creek that goes under Highway 64, right by the, right behind the Dairy Palace sign, in between the City National Bank and uh, Elliott and Waldron. I grew up in the Elliott and Waldron house. There's a, it's called Dry Creek. It's the creek that runs down First Monday. But I used to fish in that with with grasshoppers from the field, and that catch mud cat, and they were small and terrible. But I yeah, don't think, I don't think I ever fried any. Well, I hope because that would taste like mud. <laughs> That's why they named them that one. Yeah, yeah you know, they, they're just made a little different than a regular catfish. You can kind of yeah. yeah. those you throw feeder. up on the bank and leave yeah. them. <laughs> All right. Well, what else did you do? So when you when you when you go to high school in Lampasas? Went to high school in Lampasas, and we had uh, we had uh, cattle there, and we had started out with just milk cows, a couple milk cows that we'd milk every day, and then we had a Oh, every year have a five-acre garden that you hold all summer, picked and all that, and then. So hold on, you had two milk cows that you hand milked mm-hmm. into a pail twice a day. You took that into the refrigerator, or took it in the refrigerator, and then they'd get every Jersey cows, which has more cream than any of the other dairy cattle, and so you they'd take the cream off of that and make butter, and uh, had all the milk you everyone drink. How long did it take you to milk one cow? Oh, probably uh, five to eight minutes, something like that. Made your hands real stout. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so you hoed the garden, the five-acre garden, all kinds of fruits and vegetables in there. And then um, what was your first job that you got money for? Oh, I, I may have helped a neighbor or two they, that when they sheared goats or need pine, but the, I guess the main thing was hauling hay. And uh, I started out just uh, somebody paid me to help haul hay for two cents a bale. It's a thousand bales, you got 20 bucks. 
Yeah. And uh, and that was a that was about a ten hour day or twelve hour day. Yeah. I uh I hauled hay for Henry Lewis it was one of my jobs growing up and we got fifty cents. But I you know, I had the truck and trailer and everything, but that was total fifty cents divided by you know, four people. Um, we usually did it at nighttime too because it was so hot. Well, it, we had a day bought an old fifty-something model flatbed, like two-ton truck, and we hauled a hundred bales on it. And uh, uh, then I got to where I could charge twelve cents a bale instead <laughs> <laughs> of two. Yeah. But uh, and it was usually it's me and one guy. We had a loader that you just that hook on the truck truck and you. At least it would throw them up at you. So, mainly it was just sometimes we'd have three of us, or yeah. most time just two of us. One year, one summer, we hauled over thirty thousand bales. <laughs> wow! You know, when you pick up a hay bale, square bale, it's a, it's pretty much a power clean. It is. Yeah. You pick it up and open your hips and throw it. Yeah. Use your knee to throw it up. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, t- what happened after that? What happened after high school? Well, it, it, oh, even in high school, we dad decided to. He worked at Ford Hood, but he always liked to do side stuff. So he decided he uh, wanted to put in a dairy, and that probably started in when I was about the ninth grade, I guess. What did he do at Fort Hood? He, he was a auditor. Uh, started as a count accountant, ended up being an auditor at Fort Hood. And uh, he worked over there, I don't know, 20-something years or mm-hmm. maybe longer. But he he decided to have his dairy, so that means now you get up at uh, 4 o'clock every morning. And uh, I go get the cows up. He get the dairy cows started. Then I, I was in 4-H. I had show calves, so I would go take care of the show calves and then come back. And, and so he could go to work, and then I'd finish up and and uh where I could get to school by eight o'clock so and then that afternoon you did it over again <laughs> seven See, days a week for so you milk a cow twice a day mm-hmm. and are they ready to go in there yes because their their feed is uh oh there's a, a kind of a little trough there in the lane at the end of the lane and then once they get in the barn you you put feed in their troughs while they're getting milk so there's no problem. Of course, they're out in the big pastures. Oh, they were in about a 20-acre pasture, so I'd have to go out every morning and make them come to the pens. Uh-huh. Uh, and that went on through. Uh, when I went to college, well, he decided to, he he, he was going to AI them all to kinning a cattle or to, to kinning a bull because that was a big deal back then. And so he would, I was 96 miles home, but he would call me in the, after school, say, I've got a cow, I need to uh, AI. Artificial insemination mm-hmm. with a, what kind of bull? With a Kianina bull. Kianina? The, the Kianinas are the, from Italy, they're the largest uh, size-wise uh, cattle in the world. You know, they can get up to um, 4,500 pounds. So it's Jersey cows with Kianina? <laughs> Kent bred to Kenny, so but I did all the AI work. So I, uh, he, his his deal was to breed all these because they were trying to get any part of a Kenina was going to be worth something because it was a new breed mm-hmm. or it wasn't a new breed but new to the United States. So. What country are they from? Italy. Italy. Those Italian cows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big white cow. Where'd you go to college? At uh, Tarleton State. Stevensville? Stevensville. What was that like? It was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, back then, it was just a kind of a cowboy school. Yeah. I mean, the, the, oh, the, cow, the rodeo team was thought more of than football or basketball. Or, uh, they they kind of ran the school there. So, Did you ever mess with the rodeo at all? No. I mean, I've... On horses, we had horses to work cattle, but I never got into the rodeo deal. I had a friend of mine in high school taught me into riding bulls one night. 
and uh, I think it was at Event, Texas. And, and after I got through and I didn't have a shirt left on and I'd <laughs> been stomped and kicked, I said, I really don't see any use in doing this anymore. <laughs> so you go ahead and do all of it yeah. you want. But I was done. <laughs> what were you? What was going through your head when you were sitting on him in the in the pen there in the chute? I, well, I just didn't know how. I didn't see how this was going to be fun, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't when it was over with. And uh, how many seconds did you last on there? Probably three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I got tore up after that. So <laughs> the clowns a, didn't do a good job. The clowns. It takes a special breed of. I don't know what kind of special something to get on those bulls. Wow. Well, what was the first car you had? It was a 66 GTO. Pontiac GTO. And it was, I wish I still had it. What color was it? It was a gold color. Uh, standard. It, was a, it wasn't positive track. So if you... Uh, really stomped on it to mm -hmm. begin with it just go around a circle so yeah <laughs> so had a lot of power but yeah <laughs> pretty dangerous huh uh, but yeah i enjoyed that car it was it was uh, and it would hold the road good too a lot of light cars won't but that that one i it i probably uh did a lot of races with that one so. was it new when you had it no no actually the Bought it used, and uh, somebody, daddy bought it, well, I guess it had a lot of blow-by or something, and somebody had just filled it full of STP. <laughs> so, <laughs> they so, gave it and sold it. And sold it. <laughs> so I had a neighbor that was a mechanic, and uh, we pulled a motor and bought it out 30,000. So, <laughs> and put it back together and put two deuces on it, and, and it would run. Yeah. <laughs> and you've had pickup trucks ever since. Pickup trucks ever since, so I drove Chevrolets for a long time, and and uh, kind of back to driving Fords again. <laughs> What's the who makes the best pickup truck? Well, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say. You know, we used those four fifty fours when they came out, Chevrolets, but they about eighty thousand miles. That's it. That's all you're gonna get out of them. And the Fords came out with a, oh, somewhere in the mid '80s with a, uh, with a diesel, mm -hmm. and a six nine or something. And it was uh, uh, when I had a business then we used those for our business trucks, and they were diesel, but they still didn't have a whole lot of power. And then uh, uh, the seven three. Uh, Ford was probably one of the best mm -hmm. that would hold, uh, hold together as far as pulling and no problems with the motor. Um, the problems we had back then is the front ends on the Fords would, <laughs> it didn't last long. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. uh, was a Cummins diesel motor was probably, the Dodge was probably one of the best motors ever made, but the Dodge trucks would fall apart. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm driving a, a Ford again now. And uh, uh, at one time, Chevrolets were smoother the, uh, riding, but the, it's, I think they're all competing pretty good now. So, I agree with everything you just said. Um, the Chevy seems to always be a smoother ride. It's always but smoother. It's, but it's not as rugged. It's mm -hmm. low, real low to the ground, it seems, even in the 4x4 pickups. And then the... Ford, it seems now, are just the most expensive. They seem like they're the best ones, but they're, you know, could be ten or twenty thousand dollars more than the, the the Dodge or the, you know, even the Chevy sometimes. Well, the one I have now is four wheel drive, and it's uh, but it's just a. Uh, I usually get a three quarter ton, and I just got a half ton this time, but it rides real good. Yeah. Um. So you, after college. What'd you end up doing? Well, I I uh, taught ag for one semester there at Stevensville, and uh, I'd already thought about being a county extension agent uh, after teaching ag, 
you had some kids that really, you know, that would really listen, really want to be there, and then you had kids that was just elective, just to mm-hmm. could care less. So, and in, and then teaching, you're there every day. You know, it's just you go there every day, and and they actually there was a, a teacher retiring, and they wanted me to stay there and and uh, you know full time job. Yeah. Uh, and but I, there was an opening as a county extension or assistant agent in Parker County in Weatherford, and I decided to take it. And uh, uh, those I mainly worked with the 4-H kids, and uh, those kids were there because they want to be. Mm-hmm. I think they had less than 200 kids in 4-H at that time, and two years later I had over 800. And we had uh, uh, judging teams that we took everywhere, and they were winning. And I think there's five ag departments there, and 4-H had never won, like the steer show or the uh, a lot of the major, you know, heifers or uh, hog show or uh, a lot of that, they, or the sheep show, because they had all these ag departments, and nobody was there really to help the kids on the 4-H side. So I got some parents involved in it, and I think the third year I was there, they they won about everything but the chicken show. So, and they had a lot of ag departments who were mad. Yeah. What's a what are the uh, responsibilities of an ag extension agent? Well, their main responsibility county uh, county extension agent. Yeah, county yeah. extension agent. Was my my main deal was for. Uh, uh, the 4-H kids, and then the, you go from there to be the main agent, which he helps the farmers and ranchers, any problems they have. Uh, there's always something about cattle or about your crops or uh, even trees. And a lot of people there had uh, peach trees. and mm-hmm. That's when live oak decline really hit on live oak trees. So, What's that mean? Well, they were the. It's a disease that live oaks get, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just kills a tree. I mean, huge ones. Uh, so in West Texas, there's a lot of beautiful live oak trees. Now they're in Parker and weather, around Weatherford and yeah. all back in that country. There's a lot of, and so the experiment station. We had all kinds of help with. Uh, uh, we had specialists. We have beef cattle specialists. We have. Uh, Oh, the the saw. I mean, they have asbestos for about everything in the ag, ag deal. Uh, that Neil Sperry, you probably heard of him before on uh, uh, about plants. He's been on mm-hmm. retired. And he's been on, the, on as a radio show. So any anybody had a problem, even people in town who had problems with uh, their stuff, well, you go out and look at it and try to help them out. And they had a, this live oak decline where we were actually injecting something into the, uh, the tree. And it was a fix to try to stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did, went around and, and uh, had people was having trouble and, and did their trees, and it was saving trees. But it just, it was probably too expensive to, for people to actually keep up with, to buy and do. Who's the uh, Van Zant County Extension agent? Um, I used to be Cummings, right, Mr. Cummings? It, yes, I've been retired, him, but uh, uh, I think of his name here. Met, I met him last year. We use the we use the old computer here to Google it. Pull those uh, pull that headset back. I'll put it on top of your head. There you go. Okay, there right there. Go. Yeah, that's there. Tommy Phillips. Tommy Phillips, let's see. Anzac County. Takes a little while for my brain to react. <laughs> Got too much stuff in it. Tommy Phillips and Melissa Rhodes. She's the county extension agent, family and community health. Tommy is the agricultural and natural resources but hey, my Lost Cody Ranch is in Henderson County. Let's see, Henry County Extension Agent. 
So what I'd like to ask you, so I bought my place last year and uh, had a bunch of weeds. You know, you were out there, all those weeds growing. And, you know, I've cut them down, like you said, tried to before they would go to seed. And it looks like now that I have cows, it's kind of, I have a lot of good grass. When, when do you spray for weeds? When do you fertilize? Can you give me like a, a yearly calendar off the top of your head? Well, normally it depends, all of it depends on weather, but yeah, normally you would, uh, Try to spray in April. Uh, you want the weeds to be able to start coming up when they're like two or three inches tall. So uh, before you spray them, before you spray them, so it could be in April, first of May. Uh, you you want to get a you know good yeah. kill on then, and it, it, since you have so many, uh, you may have to do it again and. Oh, say the end of July, if anything's missed or anything hadn't come up, you may have to do it again. And once you've done this, uh, even the first year, you'll see a big difference. What do you spray them with? Well, there's there's a, several, several. There's a Grazon mm-hmm. uh, spray. Uh, it's the most popular because you can spray for weeds and you can still graze Mm-hmm. That's why I call it Grazon. They have some more out there. Uh, there's a 2,4-D mi- mixture, but uh, Justin has mm-hmm. come up with some different blends that might be a little cheaper than Grazon, but that's yeah. that's the main one to use. And this is going to kill the weeds and let the grass come up. Right. The coastal Bermuda grass or other good grasses we've even actually sprayed uh, or put the weed kill in with our fertilizer if we're using liquid Mm -hmm. Uh, you're probably better where you're at to go let's go ahead and spray you got that sprayer just go ahead and spray kill the weeds i have a sprayer on the back of my ranger it's a 60 gallon okay and uh then come in with your have you done any soil samples? No. If you go ahead and get some soil samples now and uh-huh. send those to A&M, and you go by the extension office, and they'll give you the oh, the sheet and the bags to put it in. Okay. And then you send those to A&M, and yeah. they test them, and they'll tell you you know, what, what you need to put on with that type of soil for, for your coastal. For, for fertilizer? For fertilizer. In this part of the country, I've learned that they're having to put out a lot of lime mm-hmm. because the pH is wrong. And uh, so if you get that test done, uh, then it can tell you there might be some other things other than fertilizer that you need to do. Okay. In East Texas, it gets so much rain here, it leaches the soil out real bad. And uh, and a lot of times it doesn't have, the grass doesn't have the nutrients it needs uh, for the cattle. We could actually, when I was younger, Daddy would come to East Texas and buy cattle and take them back west and and uh, put them on grass there, and it's unreal how much they grow. All right. So, you, yeah, you told me I needed to get protein tubs for my cows, which I've gotten a few of those. Especially in the winter. Uh, when you're feeding hay or they have just dry grass, so they've got to have that protein to mm-hmm. to be able to utilize what they're eating and a lot of people feed cubes. Uh, I think the tubs are, you know, it's got a, a mineral vitamin mm-hmm. package in it too. So, and it's a lot, a lot easier than going out there and feed Cube a few cubes yeah. every day. Yeah, my cows get they get cubes, protein tubs. 
and hay <laughs> and a lot of real, you know, still dry grass. There, uh, it's got a, I got a cow resort at my house. It's, uh, they go there for just R and R and it's like a retirement, uh, community. Um, happiest cows in Texas are at my, my ranch. That's what Justin says. I do it mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, life's too short, I guess have unhappy cows uh, yeah, i like for them to be for laying down and yeah. sunning i know they're happy <laughs> all right so if i get let's see what are my cow questions a cow gets pregnant gets bred is it normal is it nine months nine months nine months just like a human right nine right. months to calf um when do you vaccinate? When do you give um, vaccinations to your cows? Well, I do it tri- twice a year. Uh, I like to do it right after first frost. And uh, <clears throat> that way I warm them uh, at that time, too. So what are you talking about before first frost? Well, well, right after, sometime in November, you're usually going to get a frost. And see, so the okay. frost kills the, will kill the worms and the grass that the cows could possibly okay. eat. So, and, and that's why you have to warm them twice a year. And uh, and we give them uh, oh black leg. Uh, there's a virus shield. I think virus shield seven. Uh, lepto. Uh, Oh, the veterinary Canton uh, Canton Veterinary Clinic. He's got a program, and mm-hmm. he, t- he just this is what you need to do this time of year. What you need to do in the spring. So it varies a little bit, and I kind of go by his schedule. So, Doctor Everhart. Everhart, yes. And then in the spring, uh, we try to oh. By April, May, we'll do it again. Do you you coordinate that when you go to sell something? So you you put them in a trailer, and if you're taking them to somewhere to sell or or do something, you do it on the way, kind of knock two birds out with one stone. Or do you you do them all on site? Can you you do your vaccinations yourself, or do you take them to the vet? No, we don't. We do everything ourselves. Yeah, the squeeze shoot and mm-hmm. everything. Well, I, I usually have. Uh, well, Greg McReynolds and mm-hmm. Kim, they'll use the help. And when Justin's here. And Where do you buy these vaccines at? Th- they're at the uh, vet. Everhart Camp Vet. You have to, some of these are have to be refrigerated, some, or nearly all that stuff has to be refrigerated. <clears throat> if you buy it at the vet, it may cost a little more than it would tractor supply. Mm-hmm. But you know that it's been refrigerated. Yeah. And uh, actually somebody worked there was talking about was in transfer supply and here's a box of all this stuff just sitting in the floor. Yeah. And uh, I went back a couple hours later to get something else and it's still sitting there on the floor. So uh, you want to make sure that it's uh, from a reputable place because you're just giving them, maybe give them something that's not doing any good. If you're Administering virus shield, you have the cow in a squeeze chute. Where do you stick them? How do you administer this stuff? Well, I always try to do it in the in the neck, and some of it's in- intravenously, or not intravenously, but uh, under the skin, mm-hmm. uh, sub Q, and then some of it's in the muscle. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's they've moved to just kind of doing it under the skin. But if you can uh, do it right in front of the shoulder blade in the neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you give it in a hip, or you could, it could cause an abscess. And then if you butchered that animal, well, then it could, you know, they have to cut that out. So mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, right behind the shoulder, if it's under skin, I pull the hide back, and then, you know, whatever's easiest before you get to in the shoot. If you get a real crazy one, well. Get squeezed good right behind the shoulder. You can pull the hide and and uh, just stick the needle there. 
just keep your needles will get pretty dull pretty quick yeah <coughs> excuse me it's all right and we've got to <coughs> we've got to make these little guns now little plastic guns mm-hmm. where you can set them if you're supposed to do two cc's or five cc's where you can don't have to load ever syringe makes it a little easier Get me one of those. Uh, so you have some cattle and they have calves. What, what What's the process when you know one's having a calf? What do you go to? Well, we uh, are like our embryo stuff. We we watch it pretty close because uh, we know what, you know, within five days when they're going to calve. Uh, don't worry much about the grown cows calving. They usually don't have any trouble, and it depends on what bull you're breeding them to. Like us using a wagger bull on, on that stuff, they're real small calves from the barn. Uh, some some of them may not even weigh 40 pounds when, when they're born. Now, first calf heifers, we always, you watch them like a, every day. So do I, you confine those first calf heifers to a certain area maybe in a barn or something or or in a small trap where it's close to the pens Mm -hmm. so if one has trouble you you just run it right up into the pens and then you know if you have to pull it how do you you, can you put one in a squeeze chute to pull a cow or calf i do there's some of them won't because they're afraid they'll get down in there but if you have a chute that's got a side door you just kick that side door Mm-hmm. Uh, but we usually just put them in the chute and, and uh, uh, may, may not head catch them, but put them in the chute and put a bar behind them and then take your pullers and, and pull. Uh, we've done it in the in the past, not here, but where we actually, you know, rope the cow and tie it to pick up and pull the calf. So that's, that's just, real. That's real cowboy. That's. That's Lampass's cowboy stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a vet one time. I called him. I says, you know, I need some help. And uh, it was dark. And I don't know what he was doing, but, you know, normally, we'll, you know, I'd rope the cow and we'd tie it, tie it to the truck, both of us. And I roped the cow and he wasn't there. And I was trying to hold the cow and here I go across the pasture in the dark. <laughs> and out there they got cactus and everything else. And uh, I finally got found a tree <laughs> that I could Wrap put that up. rope around until he got there. I think he's laughing so hard. He... <laughs> but we got it done. <laughs> so it took you for a ride, huh? Took me for a ride. Um, once you have a calf, they stay with your mom for how long before you wean them or separate them? Well, at least six months. Sometimes seven. It depends on, you know, if they're doing good, everybody's doing good. You want to get it off there so she can re- recuperate before she has the next one. So I'd say seven months at the most. And then when is it okay to let those heifers or yearlings come back with the moms, or should you never do that? Oh, you can. Uh, we usually try to keep them off for, away from their mothers mm-hmm. for at least 60 days. 60 days that that usually works good i put them back quicker than that but that, that so you don't you don't have to wait till they have another calf to put them back over there no it, 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 most of them they they part real easy and then i've had some that i put back um not very many but i've had one or two that i put back where the mothers were after they had a calf and they still would want to try <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but in general they usually done Cause I've had mine separated for a while now. I mean, four or five months it seems. Oh well, then you shouldn't have any trouble. I at can all. just all run them together. Run them together. Uh, okay. Uh, what kind of problems do you have? Like, I've, none of my cows have had a calf yet, but they're going to have uh, in uh, March. What do I need to watch out for uh, as far as predators or anything? Or well, the biggest predator we have is coyotes. Mm-hmm. And we got we had a, a three quarter wagyu calf 
killed here a couple weeks ago by the coyotes. They just got, you know, they we saw it. It was fine that afternoon. Next morning, well, actually, there was one standing over it. Really? And uh, uh, one of the boys killed it, the coyote, but it's, you know, it already killed a calf, so. Yeah. The other, other thing is the black-headed buzzards. Uh, they're not afraid of anybody. They're real aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it sounds bad. But I actually, you know, while cow calf's being born, had them, you know, take the eyeballs out of a calf before it even got out of the cow. Um, I hate the, buzzards. Well, I those I really. I mean, not, you can't. You're not supposed to shoot them either. They're protected, are they not? They're protected on somebody's place, but but not when they're ki- trying to kill your calf. No. They're definitely not protected, right? While I was gone last time, I had a heifer calving, and uh, the cow had the calf. But before she could get up, those buzzards attacked her, and uh, don't wait part of the actually took took her eyes out. So, so would it be better to have them so they don't go far off from your house or from your barn? Be better to have them kind of pinned up when you know they're about to calf. Well, in a smaller trap or something. I mean, like where your place is, you got those little mm-hmm. traps there by your house. Yeah, by the barn there. And I, you know that'd be a good good place. I think you'd be all right there. And then the, if you saw, you know, you'd be there where you see those buzzers going. Yeah, I actually. I actually shot a coyote one time, and uh, it you know wasn't quite dead yet. It was still trying to move, and those buzzards just swooped out of the air and uh, and hit that coyote before he's even dead. Got the I coyote. Mean, so they're 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 kind of bad news. I saw a bald eagle at my house the other day. Thing was, it was four times the size of a buzzard. It was huge. I've got, well, it may be flying back and forth because yeah. it's you know the lake there by my house. Yeah, we've seen it. And they'll dive in that in that uh, lake there and get fish. Wow, yeah, it was magnificent to see that thing. <laughs> we have some a bunch of hawks out there where I am. Any trouble with hawks? Or no, no, they're not really any. Okay, unless you got chickens, you're all right. <laughs> yeah, don't have any chickens, but my dog uh, Freckles takes care of all the all the pet uh, fowl. She'll <laughs> kill all everything and eat them on the front front yard. Um, and back to your calves on the yeah. calves barn. Uh, if, if there's any way, if you, I mean, you could tag them that day, get you a tag gun, mm-hmm. and tag them, send that away. Uh, you know what calf goes to what mother, and don't have to worry about it later. And then write, you know, keep it in your records. You know, this cow calf so and so date, calf number. And on the tags, what's your favorite numbering letter system? What kind of system do you use to, with the numbers and the dates? And well, we mainly just put, uh, you know, the the tag itself, tag number. Oh, uh, I think they started uh, using letters for years. I think they just started that this year. Using letters for years. Letters for years. You just put a number on there, and then you can look in your book and see what right. It, what see it, okay. see what it is. All right, that that makes more sense. And we have uh, something new. We've been start started using. Um, it's uh that we get from Everheart, and it's uh, a spray that you put. You know, when they're as soon as they're born, mm-hmm. that's uh, sprays in their nose. And it's to help them for respiratory problems and all that. So I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it's it's uh, something to look into. So you spray it in the calf's nose mm-hmm. whenever they're born? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, How did you get into uh, hunting on your place? Well, uh, the place at Bridgeport, we started there a long time ago. Um, I actually started out just doing dove hunts. Mm-hmm. And then uh, wild hogs started showing up. Uh, 
I guess we, uh, we started that about 10 years ago because I had a place over there. I had it at least out for hunting. Mm-hmm. And then uh, oh, it's, it's when you're running cows and you got hunters and even it was just deer hunt mainly, uh, it's always kind of a problem if you got to go do something and you're in in their way or they're there and you need to do something else. So I, I stopped doing that. We started getting a lot of wild hogs. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we just uh, do hog hunts? And uh, started advertising that. And you know, we had feeders. We didn't have cameras or lights or anything back then. And then we just started making it a little bit better, you know, mm-hmm. where it's easier on them. And I even did uh, guided predator hunts. I furnished the the guns and everything, and that that was pretty good. Oh. I just bought a thermal from my dad, so I got a thermal now. Well, good. And the uh, thing's amazing. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Expensive. They are. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than my gun costs, but uh, it's amazing uh, what you can see at night. I've got a thermal, and then I have a, a night vision. Yeah. The night vision, you can actually see, like a deer, you could actually see the horns, or you, yeah. a little more detail. It doesn't range as far as a... Yeah, there's a thermal and the thermal anything heat is going to find it from a mm-hmm. mouse to right whatever. So. Yeah, I love that thermal. I wish I'd had that when I was in Afghanistan. I couldn't, can't <laughs> believe we didn't have that same technology. Of course, it was 2008 when I was there. So the thermals then wasn't that good, and they're probably twenty thousand dollars back then. Probably. Um, but yeah, so this year since you told me about that, I've had hunters and I've had you know deer hunters and mostly hog hunters, and they come from Dallas and Houston, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them know what they're doing. A lot of them come out there and they've <laughs> never hunted in there before, and they I know. they don't want to tell you that till they get there. And whenever I talk to them and give them the briefing, I show them the ranch and everything, and I I can look at them and I say, "Have you been hunting before?" And then usually they'll <laughs> just break down and say, "No, it's my first time." Yeah. So then it turns into a a class. I'm giving them now a lesson in hunting like they're my son or something. And there a lot of times they're older men. And um, the other day I had a guy, he gets in my truck and I take him over and he goes, what's that thing on the ground there? And I was like, what, this shifter? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I said, well, that's to put my truck into four-wheel drive. That's the transfer case. He goes, well, my truck's got that. I never knew what that was. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he has a four-wheel drive Ford pickup truck. I was like, I said, holy shit, you don't know what this what that shifter is? is. I was like, look, this is, goes in a four-wheel. This makes all the, you know, the front t- some of the front tires spin, the back tires. means you can go through some mud. So I took him out back to his truck when we were done. I showed him how to put his truck in a four-wheel drive. I mean, it, it's a full service. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's <laughs> now he paid me to guide him, too, so. I'm just into just teaching them all all things about hunting, but um, I couldn't well, believe it. Well, I guess the worst thing that I say you get some that just you know never been there, don't know. Yeah. Uh, actually, Targeting kids was over at Bridgeport visiting, and I had some hunters that had camped out, mm-hmm. and uh, and they were kind of camped right, but and supposed to already be gone by the tank there we were going to go fishing in. And, Walked over to the guy and I said, "Well, I want y'all gonna leave." He said, "We are." He said, "I got something I might need to tell you." And I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, I think I killed one of your cows." And uh, I said, "How much will I owe you?" And I said, "Depends on which one it is, because mm-hmm. we had some high dollar showcase stuff." So I'll, he, he said, "Well, I'll take and show it to you." And so we go around there and. Uh, the blinds just nearly right by the road. And it was, oh, maybe here that wall, 30, 20 feet or so. This cow's laying dead in the road from the blind, and he shot her with a slug. And so you're talking about a 1,400-pound cow with an ear tag in it. It's, it's freeze-branded, white freeze-brand across the side. <laughs> but it was a black cow. <laughs> And he thought that was a hog. Mm. Well, that that cow, and we had all the paperwork on it, that cow cost him $17,000. Good gosh. 
And uh, he said, well, I'm, that's my kid's college fund. I said, you know, because we have them yes. do it right the sign their life, life away. Well, I got all the information from him. And I was talking to a cousin of mine. I said, well, uh, he can pay for that with his uh, homeowner's insurance policy, which who would ever thought of that? Mm-hmm. And I called him and told him that, and they and they they paid it. I had all the paperwork, sent that to him. But that's that was it was a crazy deal. So you can use your homeowner's insurance policy. Uh-huh. To, wow, I guess if you kill somebody's dog on that, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, wow. So uh, it did work. So and I got I got paid for it. But twelve hundred pound cow don't look anything with no. tagging here and uh, all the, that. Those hunters get excited. Oh yeah. Me. Uh, <laughs> I can tell a lot of stories, but that was probably <laughs> yeah. the worst one. I had a guy the other night. He, uh, we were looking through that thermal, and he saw, we saw a raccoon. And I was like, he's like, what is that? I go, it's a raccoon. He goes, I don't like to eat those raccoons, but my mom, <laughs> but my mama does. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I said, hey, we can shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> Get taken to you your mom if you, if you want to. <laughs> uh, that'd be a little greasy eating. So you're about to get married. Yes. Tell me about tell me about uh your recent uh, your fiance. Well, it's somebody that I uh, uh knew in high school. I actually had a date with her in high school. And uh oh uh, her husband passed away a couple years ago and uh Oh, uh, my sister went to work for her. Mm-hmm. And that's how, uh, you know, they kind of met. And then I see the Dr. Tina here in, in uh, Canton, and she wanted to come, uh, Jenny wanted to come see her. And my sister told her, well, there's a, you know, I have a place out there, the cabin, it's uh, her and a friend, if they want to stay there rather than trying to get a motel room. So uh, that's when I met her again, and and uh, everything just went from there. So she's a super, super nice person, and and uh, we get along great. And there's not too many people I can, you know, when she's going to be move up here, she still lives in Lomita. Mm-hmm. She's a. Uh, uh, she retired uh, postmaster at 30 years, and then she went to, got her degree and started teaching school and uh, t- taught school for 10 years. So, But she's, uh, uh, you know, moves here. She wants to join CrossFit too. So. Well, hey, I'm on board for that then. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're getting married April 3rd? 4321. 432. April 3rd. 2021 <laughs> well i'll be there we'll hopefully be playing music uh, i'll be glad for you to be there and uh looking looking forward to it uh well bill thanks for being on anything else you want to talk about oh i appreciate you having me and uh anytime i can help you with anything on the, on the cattle or anything else just let me know i thank you i appreciate you and all the advice you've given me on on all that stuff and you know your hard work here and and you know Torgy and Justin and how much they've helped me over the years and Ashley and I love you guys and um, thank you very much and um, I know some people will listen to this and be bored to tears with the cattle <laughs> and, and hay talk but I kind of I love this type of thing and this and a lot of people are really going to enjoy this especially George and Pat all right thanks bill all right thank you bye-bye bye-bye thanks for listening guys see you later